I want you to take your Bibles if you've got them. Turn with me to Mark chapter 4 again. Mark chapter 4, and we're going to talk about backfiring tonight. We are going to talk about backfiring. So let's talk about backfiring tonight. We're going to talk about when Satan's storms backfire. We're going to talk about when God causes Satan's storms to backfire on your behalf. And yeah. uh, how many of you here can are just so thankful for problems and troubles? Is anybody here thankful for troubles? Has anybody learned to do what the Bible says and count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing something? So we're going to look at this tonight and have a grand time. We're in a time of trouble right now in our land, of course, with the, the shutdown and things that are going on. But uh, even if we didn't have this corona thing flying around right now, there are not many people that don't have some problems they're dealing with. And we're going to talk about troubles and storms and trials and celebrating in the middle of them tonight. I want you to look at Mark chapter 4 again. We looked at this recently, but we're going to look again at the other side of this thing. Mark chapter 4, wonderful day. Verse 35, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On the same day when evening come, Jesus said to his disciples, Get in the boat, let's cross over to the other side. When they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats also were with him. And a great storm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so it was already filling. Jesus was in the stern, the back of the boat, <clears throat> asleep on a pillow. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are dying? So it's a bad storm. We've got a problem here. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. He talked stern to it. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? All right. Now, <clears throat> this is not in here so that you and I can see what they did. The Bible is God speaking to me and you. And anytime we read the Bible, remember this. It is not a history book, although it is historically accurate. This is God speaking to you. And you need to always read the Bible in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And pray to Him and say, what are you saying to me personally? And let's make application of this book to our lives personally. And I want to share you several truths we get from this passage. I love this right here. This is one of the most encouraging places in the Bible where the Lord Jesus helps us to understand some things. Number one, I have decided to follow Jesus. These guys decided they were going to follow Jesus, and that means whatever He tells them, I'm going to do it. Every person is born created by God, and you have a decision to make in life. Right. You can either follow Jesus or you can follow you. You can follow Jesus and let Him take over your life and lead your life and bless your life. And, and, and nobody hits it perfect. Simon didn't hit it perfect. Not even Paul did. But there's a big difference in saying, don't mess with me, Jesus, and saying, I do want to follow you. And these guys decided to follow Jesus. Here's my, here's my question. If they decided to follow Jesus, how come they got such a mess? That's not the issue. The issue is I have decided to follow Jesus. And a lot of you decided that. And if I have my way, the rest of you is going to decide it before it's all said and done. Because you were born for one reason, and that was to decide what are you going to do with Jesus. Amen. And are you going to follow Jesus? So they're following Jesus. Everything's going great, going just wonderful. Number two, listen to this. You've heard this before, but you can see this clearly. Jesus said to them, here's what I want you to do. Here it is, dear ones. Jesus loves you, and he has a plan for your life. That God who created this planet knew you before you were born. The Bible said in 1 Timothy, He knew you before time began. Uh, one, of the, one of the most oft-quoted verses in the Bible, Jeremiah 29, 11, says this, I know the plans I have for you. Yeah. Listen, 
the God of heaven, he doesn't just have plans for all people. They are specific for every person. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 10, He calls His own sheep by name, Amen. individually, and leads them out. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, We are the creation of God's hand, created in Christ Jesus for good works, good things, that God planned before time began that we might live in them. I'm telling you, He knows you personally. And he has a plan for your life. And let me tell you, it is good. You know, I know it's good because Jesus didn't come to do but one thing on this earth. I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Yes. It, the, the, I'm okay, I'm okay. We're going to go deep. Y'all ready to go deep? Right off the bat, let's go deep. God is good and the devil's bad. Is this hard or what? <laughs> the plans I have for you are good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. I love, I love Philippians chapter 3 that says this. I've changed my mind. One thing I do. I want to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. Yes. I want to find out why Jesus has called my name. And oh, this, listen to this. This is so good. Listen to this. Forgetting the things that are behind me. How many people need to forget the things that are behind? That's right. Drop that anchor and go on, Doc. Forget the things that are behind me. I press forward to, listen to what God calls it, the things that are ahead. Yes. Good stuff is ahead. Yes. Now, let me just say, well, you just don't know my screwed up mess. You just don't know my God. Listen to this. Amen. Even before time began, He took into account our sins. Yep. He took into account our rebellion, our mistakes. He took into account the sins of the people above us. That's why one of the greatest blessings in the world, one of the greatest passions. How many of you, when you get to the begats in the Bible, you skip over? <laughs> I knew you did, because everybody does. You know the begats, that's a place in the Bible where it says, Abraham begat, Ahaz who begat, Abinadab who begat. And it's all the begats in the Bible. And we skip over them to get to the good stuff. Listen, not anything in there is wasted. Let me tell you what I learned from the begats in Matthew chapter 1. It starts out, said, Abraham. And at the end of that lady is the lineage of God working all through humanity to produce Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. What do you see in the begats? What do you see? I see God working through a harlot named Rahab. Yep. I see where David begat Solomon, the great king, through who? Bathsheba, who was the wife of your... You know what I see through that whole line of God working His plan? I see people screwing up, screwing up, screwing up, and still God gets finished. So good. He understood our mistakes, our failures, our sins, and it never changes His plans. That's good. He's got a plan. Listen, I want you to find His plan for your life. You would crawl across broken glass mm. to get His plan for your life. Come on. Now, religion will mess your life up. But let me tell you something about following Jesus. I delight to do your will. And your law is the desire of my heart. Amen. You ever find the will of God, you pay in the middle. Pay to be in the middle. So God's got a plan for people's lives. I want you to know that. I want you to believe it. All right, and number three. Here's what we see in this passage right here. If Jesus loves you and has a great plan for your life, Satan hates you and has a plan to ruin your life. There are two gods on this planet. Both are active. And Jesus loves you. He laid down his life, not just to give you eternal life, but to give you abundant life here, to bring you into his great plans for his life right here. But there's another God working in this earth. And the Bible calls him Satan, the devil, Diablo, whatever you want to call him. And the Bible said he has a plan to ruin your life. And he's doing a bang-up job in our land today. Doing a great job. He's got a plan to ruin your life according to Scripture. All right. That, that's where, listen, these boys, they followed Jesus. He was taking them somewhere. Guess where the storm came from? The great sender of the storms sent that storm to destroy God's plan for their life. They were right in the center of God's will. And this storm came down to destroy them. You say, now, Pastor, how do you know 
Well, before we ask that question, I, I want you to, in case you struggle with this thing, about a real living devil who has a plan for your life, let's look at it in Scripture. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Our pseudo-intellectual society today scoffs at a being that's malevolent, that's working in the earth. We need to quit scoffing and start resisting. That's right. We need to start believing the Bible instead of what our eyes tell us. I want you to see this play in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It's where the Bible tells you and I that there is an unholy devil and that he has a plan for us and he wants to take advantage of you personally. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. 2 Corinthians 2, 11. Let's look at this. Lest Satan should take advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his what? Schemes. Some Bibles say schemes. Some say devices. The actual uh, Greek word is battle tactics or strategy. Mm. Strategy. Why don't you listen to that? Don't you listen to what the Bible says? We are not ignorant of Satan's strategies in our lives. The Bible teaches you and I very clearly that there's a being here. Lest Satan should take advantage of us. Well, can you see from that scripture right there? That if I'm not aware of his schemes, plans, strategies, tell me what it says will happen. He will take advantage of me. He'll ruin God's plan for your life. Mm -hmm. He will steal God's best from your life. Right. And uh, we need to start believing. That's where the storm came from. The storm came to destroy the great plan that God had for their lives. Now, uh, <clears throat> if you, you wonder about Mark chapter 4, say, how do you know that was the devil who sent that storm? Let's ask three questions. Number one. Did Jesus rebuke that storm? Yes. In Mark 4.39, the Bible said Jesus stood up and he rebuked it. Well, dear, what's the only thing Jesus ever rebuked in the Bible? It was the work of the enemy. It was the demonic. And if Jesus rebukes that storm, that tells me there was an unholy hand on that storm. Question number two. <clears throat> Did this storm attempt to disrupt God's plan for their lives? Absolutely. God don't disrupt his own plans. Somebody else is trying to break God's plan for your life. Listen, all the promises in the Bible of God's plan for your life, all those great promises, uh, I know the plans I have for you. My, one of my favorites, what has been sort of a life deal for me is Psalm 128. Blessed is the man. God does good things for the man who walks not in the way of the wicked, but his delights in the law of the Lord, and he loves him. And the Bible said this, he'll be blessed in what he does. Uh, his hands will, the work of his hands will prosper, financial prosperity, blessing in your job. His wife will be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of his house. His children like olive plants all around his table. He will have peace all the day. All those great promises of God. There was, if it's disrupting God's plan for your life, it didn't come from heaven, it came from hell. Right. The enemy comes to steal what God is doing. And then let me ask you a third question about that storm that came up in Mark chapter 4. Let me ask you this. Does what happened there, does that fit Satan's M.O.? You know what I mean by M.O.? Is that how he normally operates? Here's the great foundational verse, and we need to believe this verse. John chapter 10, verse 10 says this. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Well, if Jesus came to give me a great life and make it abundant, give me a great marriage, great time with my children, Jesus came to give health, Jesus came to bless financially, take care of meet people's needs. Jesus came to bring adventure in life. He causes us to prosper. The Bible said the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy what Jesus has designed for me. That storm came to destroy me. So that tells me that he has a plan for my life also, and I do not want it there. I want you to turn back with me to uh, verse Mark chapter 4. I want you to see something. Mark chapter 4. So what we got here in Mark chapter 4, can you see this? 
Can you see that God has laid hold of these boys' lives? They've decided to follow Jesus. He's got a plan going on in their lives. He told them what to do. But this storm intersects their lives. This trouble comes. And it's messing everything up. All right. Now, here, here's my question. <clears throat> who do you think is going to win over these boys' lives? One wonder who. Are we in a, is, is our Heavenly Father and the enemy of our souls, are they in a great tug of war for my life? Not hardly. Let me make it. People act like you've got this tug of war going on. The enemy of our souls trembles in the presence of our God. I want to make an announcement. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. That's right. That's we got to get this thing settled here. Greater is he who is for me than he who is against me. In this day we live in, with all this stuff going on in our lives and things that could come on, we, we need a great revelation of the greatness and the power of God on our behalf. What we need for Him to do, listen, we got the newspaper talking to us, we got our emotions talking to us, we got Grandma talking to us, we got, we got everybody's talking to us. We need to let the eyes of our heart be open and let God Almighty speak to us about what's going on in our lives. One, I love about one of the great passages, 2 Kings chapter 6, just let me quote it to you. Little fellow gets up one morning. He is the servant of Elisha. He goes to get the newspaper. He opens the front door. He walks out, and there is an entire Syrian army standing there, ready to kill him. And he, he peed in his robe. I'm sure. I don't know what he did, but it scared him spitless. And he hollers for Elisha and says, "Come out here!" And this old preacher comes out there, and him and his little servant they look out, and here are all these warriors. And he is scared to death because you said, "Well, why should he be scared? Wouldn't you be scared?" The preacher wasn't scared. Preacher just stood there and he just looked at him. He said, Relax, son. He said, Those who be with us are more than those who be with them. That's right. He was wrong. Oh. He was wrong. Because <laughs> Gehazi said, Let me count real quick. And he counted hundreds of warriors. And then he said, One, two. And he said, The old preacher, now, now I've got a senile preacher who's carried on like this. Let me tell you, there's something he couldn't see. And there's something we can't see, but we need to see through His Word. And Elisha prayed a simple prayer. He said, Father, open his eyes. Yes. Let him see. And God opened his eyes. And the Bible said he saw around them on the mountains, from the mountains all the way down around the entire army, he saw chariots of fire and mighty angels surrounding them to protect them. So good. And you know what it turned out? The preacher was right. <laughs> those who be with us are more than those who be with him. Listen, that army was fierce. God was fiercer. Come on. Now let me point something out here. That little boy's life was a wreck. He was a nervous wreck when all he could see was what he could see with his natural eyes. But as soon as God opened his eyes and he saw what else was out there, it changed his attitude. He bowed up and he said to that fellow on that horse, you want some of me? I mean, he cocked it right up there. He was ready to go after that because he knew my God is in this thing. Then let me tell you something. The storm was fierce. God was greater. Right, let me show you this. A storm was fierce and almost killed him. But then God stood up and, and the storm was howling. And then it was time for God to speak. And God stood up and said, what? Knock it off. Silence. And he killed the storm and it was silent. And he delivered them. Simple point here. Satan tried to destroy them. God stepped in and delivered them. Come and we on. need to get this. This needs to be hammered onto our souls. That greater is he that's for me than he who is against me. I want to show you this. I'm going to give you some verses. You need some verses. I got some virus verses for you. These are virus verses. Turn with me to Psalm 34. I'm going to give you some virus verses here. Psalm 30. I was afraid Rich is going. He got over there. To, he got real close in Psalm 30, but he missed my mark here. Psalm 34. 
Uh, these are virus verses that are so good. I've used them for all kinds of stuff besides viruses. And listen, it don't, it don't matter what kind of virus it can be. A, it can be coronavirus, Bud Light virus, Miller High Life virus, whatever virus you got, these viruses will lead to these verses right here. These are some of those wonderful verses in the Bible. And I want you to, you need to mark this and hang on to them. Psalm 34 says this. Psalm 34, 17. The righteous cry out and the Lord is deaf. No, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of what? All their troubles. The Bible said that the righteous crowd and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. Save such as have a contract spirit. I'm going to read a verse to you here. And when I was a country preacher years ago, old folks in the country quoted half this verse. But I looked it up and they weren't quoting the whole thing. Here's what they quoted. Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. I heard that a million times as a young preacher. Old people say, Brother Brian, the Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. And they just quote that and I thought, my goodness, what a future is this? I reckon I ought to get ready to be afflicted. So I didn't quote the whole thing. Listen to this. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of about 50% of them if he's in a good mood. Is that what it says? No. Listen to me. Quit trying to find a place where there are no problems. Quit trying to find a place where there are no troubles. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Afflictions means problems, troubles. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. All. You say, yeah, but. Get off you, but. Let's get off our butts. And let's stick with what the Bible says. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Listen, quit thinking. Quit listening. Quit feeling. And start saying what God says boldly. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. You say, how do I know I can trust that verse? Listen to me. If you can't trust anything in this book, you can't trust anything else in this book. If anything in here breaks down, our salvation breaks down. This word will be standing when the earth is long gone. You can trust God to tell you the truth. And you can put your faith in what He's saying. I, I just love these, these passages. They're so good. Verse 22, the Lord redeems the soul of His servants. And none. You know what the word none means? Zero. None of those who put their trust in Him shall be condemned. Mm. Listen, you, you said, you've got to understand, why does He let this mess go on in the earth? You need to pray. Listen, we've got to get you over this thing of, I don't want trouble, I don't want trouble. No, no, no. You want God in trouble is what you want. Yeah. Yeah. He couldn't deliver you out of the afflictions if you didn't have none. Nahum, let me tell you where you're going to find God. You know where you're going to find God at? Nahum 1 7. I bet you all know a lot of verses in Nahum. Nahum 1 7 says this The Lord is a strong tower and a deliverer in the day of trouble. Yes. Let me tell you where you're going to find Him. You're going to find Him in the day of trouble. Because yep. that's when He shows up big and large in the day of trouble. So the Bible says, Greater than He that's in me than He who is against me. All right. Now let's go a little bit further here. Back to Mark chapter 4. Don't, don't bother turning back. We're just going to bounce around here. Not only is he greater, listen to this. What Satan means for evil, God will use for good to help people. He will take the enemy's assault and make it backfire on him, and he will use it to help people. You ever heard anything like that before? This is the goodness of our God. Listen, you, you need to memorize. You, I don't know if you don't memorize verses or not. One of the greatest things you can do is memorize Scripture and remember them. One of the greatest verses you can memorize is Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, that says this. What you meant for evil, God took and used for good to save many people alive. That's my God right there. 
I mean, you let the storms come and the problems come and the difficulties come. And what, what the scripture, of course, that's Joseph quoting that there. And the, the, this is one of the greatest truths. We're going to look at another verse about this. Our, listen, the enemy is raging in the earth today. And rather than us hunker down, we just need to declare <clears throat> what you mean for evil, my God will turn around and use for good. And he not only will deliver me, he will help many people through my deliverance. Come on. And, and of course, God not only delivered Joseph from the mess, he saved the world through his deliverance. And if he tried everything in the world to destroy that boy because he had a destiny, you've got a destiny too. You have a destiny also. God's got a plan for your life. And the enemy wants to destroy it. But God's going to cause that plan to backfire. It's going to backfire on him. And he's going to use that thing to help many people through you. Come on. Right in the middle of the mess. I want you to, uh, let me show this to you. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I forgot where we're at. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. All right, I, I got to break you of this. I want to move to No Troubleville. We, we got to quit looking for that place on the map called No Troubleville. All right, there's only one place for you to never have problems in life again. That is when six guys cram you into the back of a black Cadillac, then you will have no troubles after that. But before that, there's no place on this earth. We got to get over this deliver me mentality from troubles. We got to get into the deliver me in the middle of a mess mentality according to Scripture. I love this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1. Now, watch this. I'm going to catch you off guard here with this. Watch this. <clears throat> By the way, I need to say before we read the scripture, it's good. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort, who comforts us, what? In all our, what? Tribulation. Look at that care. By the way, the word tribulation means trouble. Anybody got any trouble going on in your life right now? Does the Bible say God delivers us? from tribulation or does it say he comforts us in tribulation this is god's nature right here he doesn't deliver us from trouble listen read the bible a cursory reading of the bible will show you that everybody that followed him had hell about a half acre you, you don't get delivered from trouble because you follow jesus you get delivered in trouble in trouble and listen he doesn't just help us when we're in trouble watch this Watch this. Delivers us and comforts us in all of our trouble. And there's a reason for it. Verse 4. Who comforts us in all our tribulation that, here's the reason, we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort we had ourselves are comforted by Him. Listen, when mess comes into my life, Jesus comes in there and intervenes and lifts me out of it. Guess what I'm going to do with that then? I'm going to become Superman to those who are in trouble after that. The Bible said that God helps us in our messes so we can help other people in their messes. Yep. Listen, a lot of people want to be trained for ministry. They say, where can I go to school? And I say, go to school? Why would you go to school? Just stick around and let the devil bring a few storms. You'll be trained for long. Amen. You know what we call, listen, you know, you know what the Bible calls troubles and trials and difficulties? It's called training for reigning. <laughs> and we train to reign in the storms. He said, Paul, the worst I go to school will be trained. He said, just sit tight. I'll train you right there where you're at. Mm -hmm. Listen, if you want to help people and you want to minister to people, don't, don't, I shouldn't say this. Don't go to school. Get you a wheelbarrow about a dozen cats. Try to push them all the way across the state. You're ready to minister after you do that kind of stuff. But we train to reign in the middle of our mess according to Scripture. I, I just love this stuff right here. All right. <clears throat> God has a tremendous promise and power in our lives. I'm going to show you one of the greatest verses in the Bible. And if this verse is true, and you can receive it, it'll relax you for the rest of your life. I don't care what hell comes against you. Amen. Let's look at the great verse about trouble. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is that great promise. 
that we can hold on to. Romans chapter 8. Now I told you, this is the way our Father operates. What Satan means for evil, God turns around for good yes. to save many people alive. Do you believe that the enemy can bring mess into your life and then the Father get involved and make a miracle out of it? Right, let's look at this great verse. And you, surely you've memorized this verse by now. This is one of those great promises in His Word. Here it is, Romans 8, verse 28. <clears throat> it says this, Romans 8, 28. And we wish. Does it say wish? No. Does it say on a good day? <laughs> or does it say we know? Listen to me. There are some things we need to quit wondering about. There are some things we need to quit hoping about. And there are some things we need to know we need to nail some things down in our lives. And this word is what we stand on. And you and I need to reach a place in our lives where we know, we know that God causes, let me see what translation I'm reading here, that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. That one verse right there will change your life. Amen. Let me read it to you the way it's written in the Greek New Testament. We know for certain that God causes all things. Guess what the Greek word for all is? All. God causes all things to work together for good to those who, number one, love Him. Y'all love Him? Yeah. Number two, called according to His purpose. I've decided to follow Jesus. When I do those two things, I've decided I love Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. I can rest assured of this. Everything that happens in my life, good, bad, ugly, God is weaving it all together to work for good. Whether I feel it or not. Somebody should write a song that says, even when I don't see it, He's working. Even when I don't feel it, He's working. What does that verse say right there? Listen, I am confident. I am confident that no matter what in the hell is going on around me, and I don't use that as cursing, I'm just telling you where our trouble comes from. No matter what's going on around me, God's hands on it. That's right. And He is causing the garbage to work together for good. And I'm going to show you what He does with it. Let's show you exactly how he does. He said, well, couldn't this great big God who calmed the storm, couldn't he just give me this little cushy, candy cane life where I can sit around and sing hymns and then go to glory? Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Listen, we want to look like we want to look like Dale Earnhardt at the end of the Daytona 500. We want to slide in sideways, bang, scarred, bruised, faint, I mean paint peeling off and say, what a ride, hallelujah. That's how we want to finish this thing. I don't know who that was. Anyway, but the scripture says he's causing all things to work together for good. This is the prompt, the path. Listen, love God. Follow God. Watch him work. Even in the middle of your mess, watch him work. That's his, that's his guarantee in our lives. Even in the middle of the mess of that storm, it was there for him. All right. Now let's turn back to Mark chapter 4. I, I, I got to answer a question here. Mark chapter 4. I just told you that God stepped in the middle of their storm and he worked a miracle. Now here's a question a lot of people ask. What good can come out of evil? And I got written on here, snort. Because people who ask stuff like that usually snort after they ask you stuff like that. What good can come out of evil? Alright, you're going to see it in scripture right here. How can good come out of trouble? How can the storms of life bring good into our lives? I'm fixing to show you right here in scripture. Not only did God cause the enemies of Saul to backfire, He used what He did to help these boys and for His glory. Let's watch it. This is Mark chapter 4. Satan's plan backfired and, and he delivered them. Plus, I want you to see four things Satan overplayed his hand. Mm. And four things this storm brought into their life. God took this mess, turned it around, look what came up. Number one, their faith grew exceedingly in their storm. That's right. 
it's pretty obvious they needed help with faith because Jesus said to them, your faith has got you acting like this. What do you think they were like after they came out of that storm? Yeah. You say, how do you know what they were like? Because I know the Bible. And I'm going to show it to you. Turn with me to James chapter 1. Let me show you what happens to you in storms, whether you want it to or not. James chapter 1. I'm hoping everybody here has been in some kind of storm. In James chapter 1, this is that great... Listen, God reveals Himself in James chapter... He shows His hand in James chapter 1 right here. They got in this storm, and the enemy thought He was going to destroy them in this storm. God used that storm to build their faith. And the garbage your enemy brings into your life, God will use that garbage to build your faith. Watch it. James chapter 1, verse 2 says this. <laughs> See if this is not natural. My brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How many of you got that down patch yet? <laughs> Praise God, I just looked in the checkbook and ain't a dime in there. Hallelujah. Let's go borrow some money, Mama. I mean, praise God, everybody's cussing and screaming. Hallelujah, I think I'm coming... How many of us have learned to count it all joy when we fall into various trials? You say, you've got to be an idiot and do something like that. No, there's a reason for it. Let me tell you what faith does. Faith starts celebrating when trouble shows up. That's right. Did we just read that? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Actually, it's when trials jump on your head. Count it all joy. But listen, it's not because you're brain dead. It's not because you've got to have a mind. It's because you know something. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing, knowing, knowing what? This storm isn't here to destroy me. This storm is going to build my faith. Come on. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. The better word is strength. The best word is just faith. The best word is just faith. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Verse 4, but let patience that comes through storms, trials, have its perfect work that you might be mature, complete, Lacking nothing. That's right. Got it? Got it? Now you tell me according to James 1, verses 2 through 4, what does my Heavenly Father use to make me a mature, strong, mighty man or woman? What does He use? Trial. Turn up the heat, evil one. Sock it to Him. Right there it is. Count it all joy. I'm just a young preacher years ago. And I'm being mentored by this old preacher who's teaching me about faith. And he blessed me so much. And I remember we're together one day and something bad, just bad happened. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, no, no. See, I'm a young, young fellow. I didn't have, nobody taught me faith. They just taught me theology. They didn't teach me faith. Your theology will not get you through the storms. Right. Your faith will get you through the storms. And I didn't know it. And the, minute, this, the moment it happened, I just heard over here tomorrow, I heard him say, praise God for another chance to prove that God's word works. Come on. That's exactly what he said. And I thought, yeah, that's what I meant. Praise God for another chance to prove this thing works. And you know what? That's the attitude we want to develop. Every time troubles come or difficulties come or storms hit, our response should be praise God for another chance to watch the king knock him out of the ring. Yep. That's what it means. Count it all joy when you follow the various trials knowing that this test, this battle of your faith is going to make you even stronger. All right? The enemy tried to destroy those boys in Mark 4 with their storm. God used the storm to build their faith. He's using these storms we're in right now to build other people's faith. Number one, God grew their faith during this storm. All right, turn back into Mark chapter 4. Let me show you the second thing that will happen to you in storms. Mark chapter 4. Let me, let me show you. Yeah, Mark chapter 4. The second thing they did. Number one, their faith was so grown through this mess right here. If you were to tell me the truth, some of you have been around for a long, long time. So most of you had not me and Phil, we've been here a long time. Richie's not quite as old. He's been here a long time. Is it not the honest truth? The lot of the faith we have right now did not come sitting on our fannies reading a book. 
It came through the storms. It was forged in the fire of the difficulties of life. Fire is what you use to strengthen things. I want to quote to you one. See if you got this verse on your fridge today. I encourage you. I encourage you want to be rich. I encourage you to buy from me gold forged in the fire. Jesus said, "Buy from me." It's coming. Oh, people say, if it's a fire, it's from the devil. Jesus said, you buy this from me. Gold that is perfected and hammered out in the fire. Praise God. I like that. I didn't get away notes on that, but it's pretty good anyway. Number two. Let me tell you what, listen to this. Let me tell you what happened. When you go through storms and God delivers you, you will experience God like you never knew Him before. So true. It's one thing to read about Him in a book, even the Bible. It's one thing to listen to a man preach about Him. But you get in a storm and you cry out and he comes through, you're going to know him like you never knew him before. So true. All right, my friends, the three Hebrew, let, me, let me teach you something about our great God right here. There were three Hebrew boys. Their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they loved God. And their, their king said to them, you'll either bow down or I'll throw you in the fire. And they answered him in the Hebrew and said something like this. Stick it in your ear, old great one. They were not going to bow down. And he threw them into the fire. Where is my God? Where is our God? They got thrown into the fire. Listen to me. His goal is not to keep you out of the fire. Amen. This is better preaching you've ever heard in your life. His goal is not to keep them out of the fire. And the king leaned over and he said, Did we not throw three men in the fire? Do I not see four in there? And one of them is real shiny. Who is that? Listen to me carefully. God has no notion of keeping you out of trouble. His will is to be with you in the trouble. He will deliver them in the trouble and he was right there with them in the fire. And I listen. And the king said, <clears throat> Would y'all please step out? We need to talk about this. So they came out. Listen to what the Bible said. The fire didn't burn them. Amen. It didn't even smell like smoke. Mm, good. I want us to reach a place where the garbage in our lives, nobody even knows we've been through it because they can't smell it on us. Man, that's good. But we don't even smell like smoke. And then the king, listen, listen. What did the Bible say? What you meant for evil, God will use for good. To help many people, God brought them out and blessed them. That's what the king said. From now on, we worship whoever God their God is. That's the real God right there. Yep. What if he had delivered from the fire? They'd have no testimony at all. But now let me tell you something about them three Hebrew boys. They knew God. They believed in God. They worshiped God. But when they came out of that fire, they knew him in a whole different way. So true. They knew him like they'd never known him before. And they walked off saying, Don't be in the fire again, watch what happens. Listen. All through this Bible, you see people who were not delivered from trouble, they were delivered in trouble. Yep. Couldn't this great God have kept David from being thrown into the lion's den? Can I ask you a question? Which is more fun? Not getting thrown in or getting thrown in and watching him tape their mouth shut and you sit there and pet him all night and say, nice kitty. Wouldn't that be fun right there? <laughs> it was he didn't deliver people from trouble. He delivers people in trouble to keep many people alive. And you'll know him like you've never known him before. Number three. <laughs> You will hear God speak in a storm more than you'll hear him any other place. So true. They heard the voice of God in that storm like they'd never seen it again. This same story is told in Matthew chapter 14. And right in the middle of the storm, they thought they were dying. Let me tell you what they heard. Be of good cheer. I am right here. Do not be afraid. Yeah. You'll hear God speak in a storm like you've never heard him before. Yeah. One of the, see if you don't agree with this. One of the funniest places in the Bible. I just love this right here. Go all the way back. Let me just quote it to you. First Kings, there was a financial collapse in the nation. Israel was under financial judgment. The finances had collapsed. Nobody could find food. And now, boy, here's a great side lesson. God spoke to Elijah. Elijah is a compound word, Elijah. 
It means Eli means my God, Jah is the short form of Jehovah. Elijah's name is said, My God is Jehovah. Yeah. Y'all worship who you want to, my God's Jehovah. And Elijah, God spoke to him and he said, I want you to go camping. You go hide in the woods, you camp by the brook Cherith, and you'll drink water from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to bring you food. Mm. So he went head in the what's the lesson right there? Even in national financial collapse, your God will do something supernatural to get it to you. Come on. People are scared to say that. You can stand on this book right here. Yes, you, you can, can trust God. That's and the Bible, which I, he sort of an outdoorsman, he liked that. He said, fine, I'm tired of preaching. Anyway, I like what I got to sell. camping. So he goes camping by the brook. He's drinking from the brook. And listen to this. Listen to this. You talk about how good our God is. The Bible said the ravens brought him bread and meat. Yep. Come on. In the morning. Bread and meat in the evening. I guess it was biscuit filled in the morning and McDonald's. I don't know what it was. But they brought him food. And uh, he just lived there and he just drank from the brook, ate the food. But I want you to listen to this. Verse 7 said this. But the brook began to dry up and disappear. Mm. You want to hear something funny? Verse 8 says, And then the word of the Lord came to him and said, Go to Zarephath. I have provided a widow who will take care of you there. I think, let me tell you, I think that's funny. You know why you heard the word of the Lord in verse 8? Because what do we do in verse 7 when our brook starts drying up and things get tough and the going gets rough? That's when we hear the word of the Lord because that's when we go looking for it. That's right. And when his brook dried up and the money dried up and the fun dried up and the health dried up and when everything disappeared that God had promised, that's when he heard God speak because that's when we go looking for it. Let me tell you what I've learned as an old man. Let me tell you what I've learned. If everything's comfortable and cush, we don't pursue it much. True. But you let to go and get tough and the tough get on your knees. There you and that's when you hear the voice of God. You'll know, you'll hear his voice like you've never heard it in storms. So let me throw in one more here, number four. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 14. I want you to see something cool here. Matthew chapter 14. God, this is so good. Now, Matthew 14 is the same situation as Mark 4. It's told a little different. And the same exact thing. They, they're, they put in a boat. The storm comes. It scares them to death. But Matthew 14 also tells of how that when Jesus got near him, Simon said, I want to walk on water too. So Simon walks on the water. He fails. He gets back up. So I love Simon. You can do that too. Yep. Same thing happened. God stopped the storm. Everything's wonderful. And I want you to watch that with me. This is the end of the story. Verse 33. Then those who were in the boat came and did what? Worshipped him. And said, truly, you are the Son of God. Then when you have tough times in your life and you go through trials and storms and God delivers you, you will worship him like you've never worshipped him before. So you will adore him and praise him and worship him. We worship to the degree we have experienced God's goodness. We worship to the degree we've experienced God's goodness. Amen. Let me tell you about a great worship service that took place one day that was kind of embarrassing. One of the ministers got upset about it. Jesus was invited to a minister's home. And he's very proper. I know he was. So they're sitting at the table. The Bible actually said they reclined at the table. You didn't sit in the chair with your legs up underneath you. Recline was a low table. You sat down with your elbow on the table like this and your feet were stuck out behind you and everybody did like this and they ate around the table there. It's called reclining the table. So Jesus is there and you're not going to believe what happened. This whore comes through the door. The town pastor, she just walks right in into this minister's house and everybody swallows their noodles or whatever. She walks right in. She gets right down at God's feet. Got right down to Jesus' feet and she was weeping and kissing his feet and her tears were washing his feet and she had long hair. She'd take her and wash his feet and she's just weeping and this minister's on the other side of the table and don't you listen to what he said inside of him. He said, that ain't God. That man's not God. If that man were God, he'd know that's the town slept right there. Mm -hmm. and, 
Jesus said, Simon, I have something to say to you. You've got to be careful thinking around God. He said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, oh, say it, Master. Hypocrite. Sitting over there gunning him down, all sitting acting like he likes him. And he said, there were two debtors. One owed him a creditor. He had two debtors. One owed him $50. One owed him $500. And he decided to forgive them both. And he said to him, which one do you think will love him more? And Simon said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said, you've got it right. He said, you see this woman? He said, when I came in your house, you didn't give me water to wash my feet. She's not stopped washing my feet with her tears. You know why? Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven her. Wow. We worship to the degree that God's been good to us. Okay. We pour our hearts out to Him to the degree that He's been. And listen, <laughs> you're coming to church on Sunday on a point everything's going good and there's plenty of money in your pocketbook and you help it. Mama's behaving and the young is acting like they got sense and your company's making money. And you'll stand and you'll sing, Almighty Fortress. You'll just sing along and have a grand time. But Betty, you let everything get dumped upside down and God deliver you, you'll sing different after that. Yeah, you'll, they worshiped Him and they said, that is God, right? What they said, they worship. They said, we have experienced God. Yep. We've seen Him. We've experienced Him. We know His goodness. We know His love. They're praising His name and magnifying Him. Matter of fact, one of my favorite all time, nothing will cause you to worship God like Him delivering you. That's so true. Once Moses and company, two million of them, were stuck against the Red Sea, enemy bearing down on them, Moses said, we got, and God said, lift up your stick. And God delivered them. You remember what they did? That's chapter 14 of Exodus. Guess what they did when they got to the other side? Chapter 15 said, And they all stopped and they sang the song of Moses to God. I will triumph gloriously. God has triumphed. The horse and the rider thrown into the sea. And they wrote that great deliverance song and they sang it after God did something. Listen, I, I hope you have so much trouble in your life. And I hope God comes through so you've got a song of deliverance in your life just like they had. So you can praise Him because of His goodness in your life. The, and let me, can I throw one more thing here? Satan brought this storm in their lives to destroy them. God caused it to backfire on him. He built their faith through that situation. They heard his voice, great things. And what is the one thing Satan hates more than anything else? He hates the worship of God. Who's the one that started it? He brought that storm to destroy them, and that storm actually caused them to worship God like they'd never worshipped Him before. I bet you he wished he'd kept his mouth shut right then. Yep. I bet you he wished he'd left them alone for that thing was sort of, you know, sort of, sort of like a. Poor old devil. Poor old devil. Look what he got into now. It's done back right. Randy Travis wrote a great song years ago called When Mama Prayed. Mm -hmm. Talking about how when mama prays, things happen. And as a line that went like this, you almost felt sorry for the devil because when mama prayed, he didn't have a prayer. You don't need to feel sorry for him. He's going to hell where he richly deserves. But the scripture teaches that God delivers us in his goodness. Now, let me, can I throw something else in here? <laughs> Greatest backfire of all time. What was it? The greatest backfire in world history. I'll just quote it to you. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. <clears throat> and the Bible said this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 7. God has revealed the great mystery He's had since the foundation of the world. Had the ruler of this world had known what He was doing, He would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Yep. Greatest backfire ever was the cross. You see, Satan ruled this planet from the day of Adam because Adam gave him authority over the planet. And Satan and his minions ruled the planet for years and they destroyed the planet. They destroyed what God was doing. They destroyed marriages. They destroyed relationships. They broke bodies. They made people sick. They destroyed everything there was. 
And then all of a sudden, this baby is born in Bethlehem one night. This baby grows up, and this baby starts wreaking havoc on Satan's kingdom. He starts healing broken bodies and setting captives free and kicking demons out and bringing hope back to people's lives. And hell's in a scramble because we got this guy walking on the earth that's tearing everything we got going up. Jesus wreaked havoc on the kingdom of darkness. So the Bible said in 2 Corinthians that the enemy has to plan. We've got to get rid of this guy that's destroying everything. So they has to plan through the religious leaders and the Roman government, let's kill him. Let's accuse him of something he didn't do and let's nail him to a cross. And sure enough, they nailed him to the cross. That's why the Bible said in verse 8, they crucified the Lord of glory. They nailed Jesus to the cross and the Bible said he died on the cross. And they put him in the grave. Guess what happened when Jesus was laid in the grave? A party broke out in hell. There was a celebration. He's the only thing that was standing in the way of our kingdom. And he's gone now. And the demons were dancing. And I guess they were drinking cheap wine and raising hell down there. Because that's what you do in hell. You raise hell. And they were carrying on and partying. But three days into their party, there was a knock on the door. And some little imp went back and told Satan himself, there's this guy standing here who wants to talk to you. And he's real shiny. And if something about some keys he's coming to get from you, you need to go up there and talk to him. He, was just, he destroyed the Lord of glory and found out it backfired. He played right into God's plan yeah. and set the world free by nailing Jesus to the cross. Uh -huh. Biggest backfire in world history was when he tried to kill Jesus. And Jesus died for the sins of humanity. And Satan lost his kingdom on the cross that day. And it's just a matter of time until the mop-up operation. And it's all taken care of. Praise God for his goodness and grace. Now, <clears throat> let me go a little further here before we wrap up. This corona thing we're dealing with right now, I've had two questions about it. Number one, people say, do you think this is a sign of the second coming of Jesus? Well, yeah, they don't take profit. Number two, they want to know, do you think this disease has got is demonic? Do you think this disease is from hell? Well, you don't need my opinion. Let's look at the Bible. That's right. Let me ask you some questions from the Bible. I'll just let you answer. Number one, if the Bible said that the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, and Jesus came to give abundant life, you measure it. What's this virus doing to our country? It's stealing our health. It's stealing our loved ones. It's stealing our wealth. It's destroying the infrastructure of our country. Of, our country. of course it's from hell. God don't destroy. That's right. God gives grace. That's right. You say, I, I don't believe in that. You say, Brother Brian, is it demonic or is it, or is it biological? Yes. Yeah. It can be both. Did you know it can be both? There is a literal germ floating around and it can have a devil behind it. Yeah. Just don't believe that stuff. Let's go back to the Bible. One of the great, several great passages teaches this. One is Luke chapter 13. There was a woman, the Bible said she was afflicted. And Jesus, on the Sabbath, he went and he laid his hands on her. And the Bible said he healed her of her infirmity. He healed her of her infirmity and he cast it out. And she was healed. And the preacher got upset and he said, you shouldn't do this on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, you hypocrite. He said, if your ox was in a ditch, you'd get him out on the Sabbath. Should not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound for 18 years be delivered on this Sabbath. Amen. So here's a woman who's sick. Jesus cast the demon out of her and she was healed. I tell you, listen, if Jesus rebukes it, that's biological plus evil. Yep. Uh, Luke chapter 4, Jesus went out of the temple and the Bible said he entered Simon's house and Simon's wife's mother, his mother-in-law, lay sick with a fever and they inquired of Jesus for her. Jesus stood over her and did what? rebuked the fever. Yep. And it left her. What's the first sign of this virus thing? Fever. He rebuked the fever. It left her. She got up immediately and cooked lunch for her. Yep. Yep. You know what I'm saying? This is from hell. 
Let me tell you what we need to hear from Scripture. This storm is from hell. What we need to hear from Scripture is this. Have faith in God. Yes. Greater is the Jesus that's in me than the corona that is floating in the earth. Come on. This is the same exact thing as Mark chapter 4 where a storm came on their lives to destroy what God has promised. Let me tell you what's going to happen to us. Same thing that happened to them. Same thing the Bible says. We're going to come out of this thing with our faith built. Having experienced God like we've never had before, having heard His voice and worshiping Him because of His goodness when it's all said and done. Storms were designed to make us strong in our God. That's right. And to praise Him and worship. Let me tell you, here's my humble opinion from Scripture. I'm going to sum it up here. We need a new perspective on trouble. We need a new perspective on trouble and on storms. And uh, we need to look at them differently. Instead of screaming and running when they show up, instead of hiding from them, we need to say like my old preacher friend taught me, thank God for another chance to prove that God's Word works. Yes. Let me tell you something. God uses the devil as a footstool to serve His purposes. Mm. And He always will. One quick last thing. Maybe. Who knows? See, my Bible's closed. That means we're wrapping up. Because when your Bible's closed, you're coming in for a landing. Got your gear down. So 1970s, I was probably the first Christian, contemporary Christian DJ in the Southeast. Because in the 1970s, you did contemporary music. We'd have three songs we sang Kumbaya over and over. It was brand new back then. It was just coming out. But a guy named Andre Krauss, I loved Andre dearly. He wrote some of the greatest music. And he wrote a song that just really captures the truth from Scripture about that. And it goes like this. I thank you for the mountains. And I thank you for the valleys and I thank him for the storms he's brought me through if I never had a problem I wouldn't know that God could solve them I wouldn't know what faith in God could do oh through it all yes through it all I've learned to trust in Jesus I've learned to trust in God oh the whole he, he's a black guy he can do the whole stuff much better than I could through it all I've learned to depend upon his word what a song and we're in this place where we can thank Him for the valleys and thank Him for the storms He's brought us through. Listen, if I'd never had a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve it. That's right. I would never have seen faith in God work if I'd have never needed it. Yeah. But through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. I mean, we're going to reach a place where we just say, bring it on. Yes. <laughs> Praise God for His goodness and grace. I'm done. I'm quit right here. That's enough for the whole crap. I love you. Let me say this to all my lambs. Chapelettes to my lambs and lambettes and sheeps and sheepettes and even my goats. I want to talk to you too. God bless you. I miss you so bad. There's going to come a day we're going to be back together in here again singing and hollering and praising. And we can't slobber all over each other right now. But there'll come a day we'll get to sing and worship together and praise Him and have a grand time. Till that day, remember this. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from His care of your life. And I want you to do this. You blow out your chest and you tell him, I'm a child of the living God. His hand's on me. And you get up every morning you make this announcement. All things are working together for good because I love God and I'm following Jesus. Watch him work. That's right. I love you, dear ones. God bless you. Hope to see you real soon.